Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. You know her as a nationally recognized gerontologist, also is the executive director at the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and we're delighted to be able to bring this show to you week after week, aimed at caregivers across this community and across the country. We are probably one of the few shows that are there for family members who are caring for a loved one, a family member, a neighbor. And we're going to chit-chat for a few minutes, but I want to uh, give you a heads up. We'll be talking with medical reporter Wendy Rigby. She'll be joining us in just a couple of moments on Caregiver SOS On Air. Has a personal story about caregiving and recently joined Texas Public Radio right here in San Antonio. So she will be a very special guest here on Caregiver SOS On Air. Now, you know, when we think about ourselves and the billions of cells... As Carl Sagan would have said, billions and billions of cells that are in our bodies. And you think about uh, us being all human all the time. Are we? Well, you know, this story, you know, I, I feel like I need to say, you know, this may be too intense for some listeners. It, it's just, it's so odd. It's about the book, I Contain Multitudes. And this is from the New York Times. Now listen to this first sentence in the story from the New York Times. You know, as you read these words trillions of microbes and quadrillions of viruses are multiplying on your face your hands and down there in the darkness of your gut with every breath you take with every move you make you are sending bacteria in the air at a rate of 37 million per hour your invisible aura your personal microbial cloud with every gram of food you eat you swallow a million microbes more Oh, my goodness, that's graphic. To the obsessive-compulsive listening to this, uh, that's got to be pretty frightening. Well, you know, it asks about, so who, when you think about who am I, who am I? And what it turns out is that, okay, so you're a human, and your human cells came from your mom and dad. Um, but really, about half of your cells aren't human at all. They're made up of these microbes and these viruses that live on you and go where you go and eat when you eat and do everything that you do. Oh my goodness. And it turns out some can be beneficial to us. The uh, oh. the, the microbes and flora in our gut are essential to good health. Well, you know, that's, um, that's the fascinating part because they, they traced back why do we think about germs and why do we have you know sanitizer on absolutely every counter of our house and carry it in our purse um because you know back back in the 1683 the gentleman the dutch gentleman who invented the microscope was telling people he called them animalcules like molecule but animalcules were everywhere they were on your skin on your fur on your eyes and he took plaque off of his teeth and looked at it and found everything was moving but nobody else could see could see these animalcules without a microscope they didn't really believe him that's <laughs> they're funny like, they're like wow <laughs> so they were saying you know he was really seeing the future okay so fast forward 19th century these names you've heard louis pasteur and joseph lister 
And they're the ones that developed the germ theory that we still, you know, really think of today that all of these germs, they're struggling for, you know, survival of the fittest. They're competing with us for food and resources and living on us. And, you know, it's always the single-celled molecules will inherit the earth. It's not going to be the humans. And so, you know, that's in political terms these days, we'd say shoot to kill, build a wall, you know, guns, walls, everything else. Um, but the, the newest science is so fascinating, um, and it's looking at genes, our genes, gene sequencing, genomics. Um, and so if they just take a little bit of, you know, a little bit of skin off your cheek or off anywhere on you, it, there's a whole tree of life out there. There's a whole civilization out there that lives with us. So if we're 25,000 genes we're 500 times more than that, including everything that lives with us in harmony. We're our own little ecosystem with everything that's with us. And whatever's on our, the, the things on our right hand are not on our left hand. That's amazing. You know, different parts of our body, just right left side, left side, you know, are, have different viruses and germs. And, yeah, we got to wash our hands and, and you know, don't sneeze and, uh, you know, on other people. All of those germ things are true. But what we found out is we are multitudes. A single person is not a single person. And get this, we are never alone. You just joined us. You're listening to The Twilight Zone. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Heron, along with Carol Zernio. We are hosts to all these microbes. We are. And so if you're interested, if that didn't scare you to death, um, you know, the, the book is I Contain Multitudes, The Microbes Within Us and a Grander View of Life. And once you realize, you know, that it's not just about germs, that it's about being 500 times more than what you are, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. It's fascinating. You know what else is fascinating? New results from physical inactivity. Well, Couch potatoes rule. Couch potatoes. So this was just a little research piece that came across my um, desk from one of the oh, online, what's the latest research, the Lancet Public Health. And it was, it was trying to think about what are the other costs of physical inactivity. And what they found out is that it's the costs of physical inactivity. It's the economic costs of um, being sedentary. So conservatively estimated physical activity costs the healthcare systems across the globe $53 billion, um, of which about $9 billion of that is paid by you and me by households um, that have are full of all of those of us who might be physically inactive. Um, and that the, all the chronic illnesses, and then you look at the loss of life, and you look at the um, disabilities that are caused by these chronic illnesses. You know, you think of somebody who is very, gets very obese and, and um, might have diabetes uh, and the economic burden. And so what they're saying is that you have, they have to do disability adjusted life years because of physical wow. inactivity. The economic burden alone is huge, much less the quality of life. So get off the couch. Get off the couch. Get couch moving. potato to walking is the best thing, biggest bang for the buck you can do. Just a little bit of walking, you and your microbes. Now, you do flamingo dancing as exercise. 
I do do flamingo dancing with my local parks and rec department. I don't know if all parks and rec departments offer flamingo dancing, but here in San Antonio, we're very fortunate that we do have it. And it's got to burn a lot of energy. Well, you know, it, it certainly reduces your stress when you're stomping around with nails in your <laughs> shoes on the floor. You know, that's a good way. That's a good way to unwind at the end of the day, and, and it's a lot of fun. That's pretty cool. So uh, lots of pressure on folks to eat more vegetables, eat more fruits. Good thing. It's healthy. Uh, but not a lot of us know how to really prepare veggies in the appropriate, proper most helpful way. Uh, and I'm a guy who loves roasted vegetables. Well, this is, you know, we're, we're coming into fall. It's September pretty soon. All the recipes and all of the newspapers and magazines are going to be about fall soups and roasting squash. And so the question is, that was posed in the New York Times, is, is it as healthy? What does roasting do to the vegetables? So what do you think? Good or bad, roasting the vegetables? Well, intuitively, I'd say bad. Well, you know, and I'm happy to say that you're wrong, that uh, roasting the vegetables, it may kill some of the vitamins, but it actually enhances some of the other um, things that are good for really? you. For example, cooked carrots, um, it, it increases the levels of the the antioxidants. So uh, I, I always knew I liked cooked carrots better <laughs> than raw carrots, and now I know why. Um, and then you think about tomatoes, cooked tomatoes, roasted tomatoes are higher in lycopene. Remember, that's that was the big thing probably lycopene two good. years ago. Everything was about lycopene. So roasting your vegetables, anything that gets you to eat your vegetables, it doesn't matter how you cook them, is better <laughs> than not eating vegetables. So don't worry about roasting them. It's fall. Roast your vegetables. Enjoy them because they're still going to be good for you. I love roasted Brussels sprouts. I, that's, I was just thinking mm. about Brussels sprouts because my husband does roast them um, with a little bit of olive oil. You need to go careful on the olive oil because it's really got a lot of calories. Yeah. But it's so good if you roast them in the oven. That's pretty cool. Sounds good to me. Got about a minute or two left. Teaching in-home caregivers apparently pays off. Well, this has actually hit the news in several places recently in California. Um, they trained about 6,000 in-home caregivers. So these are family caregivers that are getting money from Medicaid to care for their loved ones. Many of them, about oh, at least 40%, didn't have uh, uh, any college background at all. Uh, and they compared them to caregivers that didn't get trained. And what they trained them in was CPR, first aid, infection control, managing medicines, and basics on chronic illnesses. Um, and all of them were caring for somebody who was also, was either low income, because these are all um, on the Medi-Cal system. Uh, and what they found is that the caregivers that they trained, the rate of repeated emergency room visits declined by 24%. Wow in the first year and 41% in the second year. That's huge. That's a huge return on investment. And a huge cost savings. It's a huge cost savings. And guess what? Um, the caregivers liked having the information. You know, all of a sudden, you, you've been caring for your mom. What if her heart stops? You know, so knowing CPR, knowing how to manage those medications. Um, you know, I, actually, I'm looking at the stats. So for these three counties in California, 44% of these people they trained didn't have a high school education. And yet they took 60 hours of training uh, and they felt better about themselves. The person they were caring for felt more secure and they cut emergency room visits and hospital costs. So this is was a study that was funded through uh, the Centers for Medicare Medicaid Services. So it's kind of new, 
uh, information. But wow, you know, that's that's a tremendous endorsement for helping our caregivers to do what they need to do and giving them the training to do it. You know, workmen's worthy of their uh, tools. And I would think it increases their self-esteem. Well, it, it got to feel better about yourself. Yeah, you know, and you're not the invisible caregiver. If somebody's training you and, and helping you to do a better job, um, you know, caregivers are a pivotal hmm. role in the healthcare system. This just makes good sense. Speaking of caregivers, you've got a neat conference coming up on caregiving. We have a Caregiver Summit coming up on November 10th. It's no charge. We are having Lynn Friss-Feinberg, who's the caregiver policy expert from AARP. We're having Rundy Purdy, who was here on Caregiver SOS on air, talking about his book. These are some experts in caregiving that you'll want to find out about. Go to caregiversos.org and sign up for free. I like the name Rundy Purdy. I just like saying Rundy's name myself. Yes, I can't wait to meet him in person. That's cool. Look forward to it. It's a great conference and uh, I, I hope you're there as well. Coming up next, we talk with Wendy Rigby, medical reporter and bioscience reporter at Texas Public Radio. That's next right here on Caregiver SOS On Air, uh, 9.30 a.m. The Answer with Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff, we come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Well, as we were promising, it's a delight to welcome Wendy Rigby to our Caregiver SOS on-air microphones. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Wendy, as many of you know, spent uh, a number of years at Ken's TV covering medical issues and now is with Texas Public Radio uh, doing the same thing, uh, biosciences and uh, medical issues and uh, Shelly Koffler, the news director there, was smart to snap her up rather than <laughs> Thank uh, you, leave you to Thank another you. Uh, uh, outlet somewhere. And I'm, I'm pleased that you're staying right here in San Antonio. I'm pleased to be here, and I'm pleased to be talking to K-Loop. Well, one of the things that uh, has uh, troubled lots of folks who work with senior-related issues, and Carol is a gerontologist, is the portrayal of seniors uh, on television uh, and really the hesitancy uh, uh, to deal with senior-related health and, and medical issues in, in mainstream media? Uh, I think it's short-sighted. When you think about the people who consume media, a lot of them are seniors themselves, and if they aren't seniors, chances are they know a senior or they're taking care of a senior. And so these issues touch virtually everyone at some point. And I have to agree with you. I, I, I think... Um, it doesn't seem as sexy and marketable as perhaps some other topics, but it's certainly a daily concern for most people. Well, recently on Texas Public Radio, they had a group of, and this was na- it was National Public Radio, um, they had a group of economists talking about um, the 
what was going to happen as the boomers, you know, aged, that productivity was going to drop in the United States. Because um, old people don't work. Because old, no, old, people, old people don't work as hard or as well as younger people. And two of the economists were agreeing, yes, 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 those old people, you know, there goes productivity. And I was so happy to hear one of the people say, well, how do you know they're going to slow down? In fact, the research doesn't show that at all. It shows that if you increase the font size on a computer um, that, you know, with just a few minor actual physical modifications of a workstation, that there's no loss of productivity at all. And yet for uh, almost an hour, you know, everybody else was like, oh, yes, old people were going down the tubes, productivity is dropping. And, you know, what you find is that a lot of older people actually have so much to offer and come from a generation with a great work ethic. I know the the bosses I've talked to recently have said, I'm having trouble hiring millennials because they either want to work from home, which doesn't work for me, or they come in feeling like they should get everything up front. They want to start at the top. They don't want to start at the bottom. I think people who are seniors right now are used to having to work very hard for everything that they've gotten, and they want to be productive members of society for as long as they can. And and let's face it, they say, you know, whatever, 70 is the new 50. And, and there's some truth to that because some people are so uh, vigorous when they get older. And even if they're not physically vigorous, many people have so much they can contribute mentally that if you just accommodate them for some of these uh, physical limitations they might have, we can still tap their knowledge and their wisdom and their power for a long time to come. Well, and I think that was what they were pointing out is that they're saying this generation, if you're a boomer, you can stand tall, um, that this generation is probably better educated than any other generation. If the work experience they have right now compared to somebody who's in their 20s or 30s is significantly higher, um, and if all they need is good reading glasses and a bigger font size, um, that's a pretty good reason to keep older people um, around. And I know that this morning there was a discussion about uh, John McCain's, uh, you know, can, well, right, the, the, he the opponent, because he turned 80 and she said he's old and he's slowing down. He's not vigorous anymore. And that making his age in the state of Arizona really seems is like a mistake, age, <laughs> you know, a factor. That's interesting. And yet, when you think about what drives media, uh, it's the advertising dollars. And historically, and maybe this will change, they have aimed at the 25 to 45 age group as the one that has the buying power. Uh, but there are a lot of folks who, who say the boomers have the money and the 25 to 45 don't have anything. That's right. Absolutely. And they might drive some of the spending of the baby boomers, but the baby boomers are the ones with the buying power. And I will say that the baby boomers are more traditional media users, right? So a lot of millennials are getting their news from Twitter or, you know, some other um, less mainstream media. So if the mainstream media could sort of focus their efforts on telling the real story of what's happening with seniors and senior needs, I think their audience would grow. And certainly that's what they need right now because it's so fragmented. Now, this show, as you know, is aimed at caregivers and their families. And it's one of the things that more and more is being talked about, uh, like it or not, a lot of folks who are not yet seniors are providing care and are caregivers. And uh, I, I, I think that you take a look at somebody, they're either going to be a caregiver or a care recipient or both in their lifetime. What's been your experience as a caregiver? Well, I, I've had a couple of experiences. I must say that um, 
back about seven or eight years ago, uh, my husband, who was not a senior at the time, had three really bad bouts of diverticulitis and ended up having to have um, colon surgery to have a third of his colon removed. And there were some complications, and he ended up in the ICU and then was in telemetry as blood pressure went out of control. And then he was home for, it was supposed to be six weeks, but it ended up being eight weeks. And so here I was, a full-time employee, mother, helping with an elderly father, and I had this, you know, spouse who was a vigorous person who all of a sudden was laid up. And uh, it was quite the change for me. And I really had to balance the whole, what I need to do for work and my children uh, between the medical needs and the psychological needs of this man recovering from a major surgery. And I also realized, you know, professional physical therapy is not enough. And I think caregivers know that you are also part-time physical therapist. When you're trying to get someone back to where they were and they just want to lie around because they feel really bad, you are the cheerleader. You are the motivator, even when you don't feel like being well, a motivator. You're more than the physical therapist. You're the medication you know, technician. Um, you're part nurse. You're part psychologist, psychiatrist. Um, you know, the, the don't forget taxi driver. Yeah, taxi driver. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You, know, you are That's the jack Uber. of all trades. Right, before Uber. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just so much that a single caregiver does. The job description is quite long indeed. It's quite lengthy. And I think also when you try to deal with your employer at a time like that, when you know it's going to be short-lived, but it's still important, they understand when people come in and say, I, I need this time because I'm caring for a sick child, or I need this time because I'm adopting a baby. But when you go in for an adult, for either a spouse or an elderly parent, you don't quite get the same responses. I mean, no matter what the law says, it's people who are employers aren't exactly as forgiving when it comes to the role of caregivers, of, I, of adults. You mentioned an elderly parent. I want to find out about that in just a moment. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel on Caregiver SOS on air at 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Our very special guest today is Wendy Rigby. You hear her reports as a bioscience and medical reporter on Texas Public Radio here in San Antonio and delighted to hear you on the air and, and as a sidebar. Uh, I never realized until I sat next to you right now what a great radio voice you have. Because oh, on television, right. and she was just we, telling me that she's that she's new to radio. I said, "You've got to be kidding me!" Because on television, although you hear the voice, it's the whole package. Well, I'm glad that I can go with just my voice. That gives me hope for the future. Oh, I think you got a long career in, in radio. Excellent. So tell us about caregiving for, for an elderly parent. Yes, my father is 87 years old. Um, my mother died quite a long time ago of cancer, and he was alone for a while. He got remarried at the age of 80, Ron. And I said, you know, hope springs Good eternal. That's, yeah, that's excellent. He chose life. So he married a woman we knew from our church, and several years after they got married, uh, he started developing very strange, uncharacteristic symptoms. He was very mean and very ir irritable. And I thought at the time, having been a medical reporter, I'm pretty sure this is Alzheimer's. Long story short, he did get uh, diagnosed as early stage Alzheimer's. His wife is his main caregiver, but when we give her a break, which we try to do from time to time, she goes out of town, uh, I'm the caregiver. This means I either have to go live at my father's house while I conduct my life, or I have to bring him to my house. He has had a heart valve replacement surgery. He's a diabetic. And so every time I care for him, I get such great respect for her because I have to re-bone up 
When do I give the insulin shot? How do I check the blood sugar levels? Oh, yeah, it's time to go to the bathroom. I have to make sure he doesn't fall. And doing all this with respect for the man who is my father. Um, he doesn't like for me to have to button his shirt and pull no, up his pants. He wouldn't. That's what he used to do for me. So I think it's different when his spouse does it than when his own daughter does it. He's grateful for the care, though. And one thing I encouraged him to do that I want to share this with other caregivers. When he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, he decided to be a part of a study at the Health Science Center. Oh, excellent. Yes. So once a year he goes in, they give him the cognitive testing and a physical exam. He feels like he's helping people in the future. And he is. He's paying it forward. He loves doing that. He was a pharmacist, a man of medicine. And my dad was a pharmacist. Yeah. He So he believes in in medical things, medical research. Oh, cool. And they ask him every time he goes, Mr. Sheldon, what are you having trouble with? He was having trouble hearing. He couldn't afford any more hearing aids. He kept losing them or the dog would eat them. So they said, there's this great little device. Dog called- ate my hearing aid. Exactly. There's this great little device called the Pocket Talker. And you you have headphones, just like we're wearing right now at the radio station. And it's connected by a wire to a microphone. And it has been life-changing for him. And it cost $200. Versus he, thousands for Right, which he can't afford. He would never have known that unless he was involved in the study. And these people who care about the quality of life of senior citizens said, how can we help you? If there's a way a senior you love can be involved in helping others, I think it gives them a sense of purpose. It keeps them forward-looking. I want to come back to something you said because we have done shows uh, on people who get married later in life Uh, And within years, uh, they end up being a caregiver, and they didn't sign on for that. They signed on for trips to Florida, a trip to Europe, a trip to California. They didn't sign up to be a caregiver. How is your dad's wife dealing with this? Because it's a heck of a lot of stress. It's difficult, but I think when you go to the altar and you say, for better, for worse, for richer, poorer, sickness, and health, you have to mean it. Some people do. She does. That's cool. Yeah, which is very nice. That's really, very nice. That's and really and cool. I love that your father's participating in the study. Um, we are having a caregiver summit in November where the Health Science Center will be talking about their Alzheimer's research and studies and how people can get involved. And we'll tell you about that in just a minute right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zernell and our very special guest, Wendy Rigby. Well, thank you so much for sticking with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Carol Zerniel and our special guest Wendy Rigby. Where do you find her? You find her on Texas Public Radio, KSTX, and up in the Hill Country, you've got stations, and now down in the Valley, you guys are everywhere. We are. We're expanding, and we are also adding staff. So I'm the dedicated bioscience medicine reporter. You're going to see an education reporter, a technology reporter. We are going to cover the news with Beats the way it needs to be covered. And nobody else is really doing that mm, here in San Antonio. I, uh, well, I shouldn't say that, but no. No, nobody in radio is. Jim Forsyth at, uh, uh, you know, his station, uh, but he doesn't have much of a staff anymore. They've let people go there. They don't have a medical reporter. They don't have an education reporter. They don't have a City Hall Beat reporter. Why are you all doing that? Well, I, I have to give a shout out. I mean, Texas Public Radio is nonprofit, obviously, and there are no advertisers, only sponsors. And we have people who've aggressively gone out and, and, and gotten funding. So I actually have a grant-based job. So people in the community said there, there's a dearth of information out there about things medical, so let's fill it. And That's so cool. a shout out to those people. I'm not supposed to know who they are because, you know, 
you don't want to color your reporting. <laughs> but if anybody's interested, I noticed it's listed on the webpage. So oh, that's funny. I actually do know. Well, a- a- as you look at your field and uh, really a specialty in medical and biosciences, uh, how did you get into that? Very interesting story. So I was a caregiver of my young children when my husband worked nights and I worked days. Um, and I told my news director at the time, Bob Rogers, over at KENS TV. Very famous name in oh, news yes. directorships. Way back in the early 90s, I said, look, I'll do anything you want, but I have to work days. Um, I need to be there for my family. And they were very accommodating. They said, well, let's see, you're a woman, which was still a thing back then. <laughs> um, you can do education or you could do medical. And I've always loved things medical, probably because my father was a pharmacist. I chose it, threw myself into it, and it's been like an on-the-job education every single day for more than 25 years. Well, that's that's the nice thing about being involved, uh, you know, in this radio show and and all of your years in the media is all the different people you talk to and all of the things that you learn. It really is. I always think about Charlie Rose and all of the interviews that he's done over the years and how fabulous it would be to have, you know, that kind of a a catalog. I talked uh, and, and trained Charlie Rose in talk radio. Back in uh, well, Washington, D.C. my goodness, Ron. At WRC Radio, he was uh, doing interviews uh, but had never done radio. And he came in and uh, wanted to get experience doing it. So I spent a bunch of time with him. Cool guy. Well, you did a good job. Yeah, really? I don't want to take credit for <laughs> it. <laughs> well, he had the talent, the ability, the interest. And uh, uh, the key was he knew how to listen and he was curious. I think caregivers also have on-the-job education every day and I have noticed when I've talked with my father's wife that she's learning as time goes by and realizing how it all dovetails together and I knew a lot about let's say diabetes before she did and she's had to learn it all and once you go to enough doctor's appointments and read enough labels on bottles and and read enough articles and you tune into what's out there you can become an expert and you can help that person live the best life they can live with whatever condition they have Um, that you need to help them cope with it as as chronic as something that doesn't have to kill you and you become an expert and you bring them along. Now, one of the things, Carol, we've talked about on, on this show is because of the way medicine works today, caregivers uh, end up being responsible for what is really a whole lot of medical procedures. People are dis, you know, uh, discharged from hospitals earlier and earlier, and the training that caregivers don't get is a real challenge. Well, and most caregivers don't get a lot of training. You know, only about 40% of caregivers get any training on medication management. They're more likely to get training from the home health agency if they're doing wound care. Um, but if it's a, you know, a stroke or Alzheimer's or, you know, a, there are a lot of things that you go into the hospital and you come out. Um, and, and two questions no one's asking to the caregiver is what are you willing to do and what are you able to do? Because if the answer is, I'm not willing to do it or I'm not able to do it, it's game over and you're putting your loved, that person, at risk, you know. And so um, I think it's it's hard for caregivers to speak up in that situation uh, and to sell the doctor and say, you know what, nope, no can do. I'm not going to do that. You know, they ask you that on an airplane if you're sitting in an evacuation aisle, if you don't feel comfortable right. taking that window out, you need to change seats. I also think sometimes it's the little things that make your life easier as a caregiver, and sometimes you're afraid to ask about those little things. My father was struggling with his walker. He's only only been on the walker since January when he had his heart surgery, and it would it would keep getting caught on things, and it was rubbing, you know, ruts in the floor. And my husband's like, 
hey, I see all these old people with the tennis, tennis ball. ball. There. So you're he, about to go with the tennis he, ball. He cuts it out and he puts it on there. And my dad's like, this is fantastic. I'm and scooting I'm thinking, along. Why did this take five months to happen? But if you ask people the simple question, what what is driving you crazy? What's not working? And what do you need to make it work? Um, then I think you can get the answers. And you as friends of caregivers can ask them, what can I do for you? Don't just bring a casserole. That's probably not what they need. Please ask them very specifically. Do you need me to come for an hour while you go to church? Do you, what do you need from me? Do you need me to run to the grocery store for you? Um, you know, drive through the pharmacy. Ask people what they need because at a certain point, I'm pretty sure most caregivers would give you something very specific well, as we, an answer. We talked to a caregiver who, when she was sitting, you know, at the doctor's office, you know, waiting for the doctor to come in to see her loved one, she carried index cards and she would think of things she really wished that someone would do for her. And that way, when somebody asked the question, she would ha- she'd say, pick a card. Um, and had real, very concrete ideas about what they could do to help her, which I thought was brilliant. It is. And I, and I also think we need to um, hold caregivers up. What they're doing is showing respect for people who have lived a lifetime in many cases. And by caring for them, you're showing respect. And so too many times I think people act like it's a burden. It's not a burden to care for the man who bore me. It's not a burden for his wife, his spouse, who loves him and said so in front of God and everybody, to care for him. This is, this is God's work, and we need to embrace it, and we need to hold up caregivers and give them the respect, the courtesy, and the support they need. Because you know what? This too shall pass. If you just joined forever. us. you just joined us, she's Wendy Rigby. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel on Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer, and she's right about that, uh, developing national recognition, respect, and support for caregivers uh, ought to be in every platform for every candidate running for office, but you don't hear it talked about. Well, you know, the problem is that caregiving is still seen. Uh, You were talking about getting into the uh, journalism business as women's work, um, and unfortunately, Anything that's defined as women's work is usually paid a little less uh, still. And, you know, we just we, we haven't elevated the, the positions for unpaid caregivers, family caregivers or paid caregivers where people who are doing it for a living are really not living very well on their 13000 to $15,000 a year that they make. And I think uh, sometimes people neglect, uh, I'd say, places in the community where they can get some help. So they don't really know where to ask. And I would say start in the community where you live. Check with your local churches. Check with the clinics in your neighborhood. Go online. You know, check with ACOG. Check with WellMed. There are resources out there where if you have a really specific question, you can get it answered. Or if you have a specific need, you can get it filled. But you have to ask for help. And somehow in 2016 America, people are afraid to ask for help. Well, if you're, yeah. you know, I'm one of those people, I, I, I'm oftentimes hesitant to speak up, but I'm really good online, you know, looking things up. So if you're like me, you can go online and type in eldercare.gov and it will point you to the area agency on aging in your community. You can be anywhere in the United States. It works anywhere. Type in eldercare.gov, fill in your zip code, and it will connect you to exactly that agency that you were talking about that can tell you about the resources for the elderly, uh, persons with disabilities, and caregiving resources. Carol used to manage the AAA here in in Bear County, and 
uh, as you think back, uh, you were really in the forefront of developing the kind of support and information that caregivers, families, and seniors need. Well, you know, they, there's a little bit of money available through the federal government. Um, I can remember when they first released the money, people were like, oh, we're going to give caregivers massages, you know. And, and while that sounds lovely, and we did, you know, provide some massages back in the day, what caregivers really need is is respite and information and in-home services. They need somebody to help clean, uh, take care of their loved one. Uh, so uh, there's a few people still spending money on on the treats, and I, and I want my caregivers to have a massage as well but I also want them to get the real hands-on help that they need to keep them going. Now, it's cool that you provide respite care for your dad's wife. Do you call her your stepmom? What do you call her? My father's wife. Okay. I just want to be sure we get the right terminology. So you enable her to take care of herself. Well, she needs to. She is 13 years younger than he, but that still means she's in her 70s. So she has needs, too. She has a family of her own, her own child and grandchildren. I am not. So, you know, it's an interesting relationship. We both love the same man, and we both want the same for him. And so we've come together um, in that regard. Um, Like about half of the people who are unpaid caregivers, certainly it wasn't her choice, but it is reality. And I think we we need to bolster people who, who are in the midst of that crisis, because I remember at first she would be like, I don't know if I can handle this. And we would all tell her, you can handle this, and besides, you have to handle this. And so I think sometimes people just need some um, hard truths, and they need to be talked through it, and you say, we're going to be there for you, we're going to help you through that. But, you know, we don't need to gloss it over for people because it is hard and it is daily, uh, but it is important. Now we got about a minute left. Tell us what you're going to be doing at Texas Public Radio, the kind of stories you'll be covering. Oh, I'm absolutely thrilled to be there. Um, Bioscience, so much going on here in the form of research projects. I'd like to do um, medical studies that people can get involved in, cutting-edge research that's going on here, but they need you to be the volunteers. I think that's really exciting. As well as localizing national stories. We just got through with a whole week of Zika. So if if you want longer-format stories that include facts uh, and new kind of news we hope you'll tune in longer format means more than 30 seconds correct usually three and a half to five and a half minutes is what i get nice long story which is a lifetime it is and for our caregivers it's those medical stories really that give some of us who are caregivers hope because we learn about what's coming down the pike we learn about those trials and i can tell you there's been more than one story that's made my ears pick up and think oh You know, something's going to happen sometime, maybe not in time for my parents, but maybe in time for my generation. You know, maybe my son won't have to go through some of the things that, you know, our families had to go through. Absolutely. And I think there's a lot of genetics research going on in San Antonio that would surprise people. And and that's the kind of research that really gives people hope. And I think, you know, even if you're not going to benefit from it, it's just darn fascinating. And so that, those are the kind of stories we'd like to tell so that people can be proud of the medical community here. They can take advantage of it. Lots of military medicine here that's really worth reporting on. And so I'm not going to be reporting on anything else. My job is simply bioscience and medicine. So I hope people will check out our website. Am I allowed to say that? Sure. TPR.org. TPR.org. And uh, check it out because there's a whole bioscience medicine page on there. And I, I think people would get a lot of good information. And if it. somebody listening has a, an idea for a story, they can email that to you? WRigby at TPR.org. I would love it because I've only been in the job two months and I'm, 
I'm still getting back into the swing of things. And, of course, we want to know what's going on out there. We really appreciate you coming in. And thank you for the work you're doing both on the air and as a caregiver. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Carol. Thank and you. your husband's feeling okay? Everything he's worked great. out? He's great. And look, he's got less colon to carry around. That's so right. That's not a bad thing. He's skinnier now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Hey, thank you so much. For Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Up next, Take 10, right here on 9.30 a.m. The Answer on Caregiver SOS On Air. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues. We've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio. And get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikhoff, we come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Well, we really appreciate you sticking with us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. At the end of each of our shows, we bring you Take 10, where we kick a topic around and get the views of Carol Zerniel and our very special guest, Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist and expert on not only addictions, but caregiving as well. And Carol, you brought up a pretty good topic we're going to toss out to Jamie, and that is the new caregiver. I, I said, you get the phone call, grandma's in the ICU. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it. sometimes it happens very quickly that, um, you know, there's a fall or a hospitalization. And sometimes it's that, you know, realization that you're doing something almost every day for your parents or your spouse. Um, and you wake up and you realize, wow, you know, this is it. I'm in the caregiving world. And we know that people come into it. Uh, and this may, you know, this very radio show that you're listening to right now might be the very first experience that a caregiver has uh, in reaching out and finding out, now what do I do? So, Jamie, we've got an audience of new caregivers. Where do we point them? You know, this is a great segment. I know that we have 10 minutes, and this could be a really a, a telephone, if you will, for 10 hours. But I would love to take this conversation to a more positive place because – Actually, it's, it's a good thing if you're not tainted over time about what caregiving is and become jaded and become, you know, burned out because you had no clue. Remember, this is society. Unfortunately, uh, the two most critical and maybe important times in our lives is when we parent a child or when we provide care for a loved one. And neither has any sort of education, really strong formal education out there. That's the beauty of Caregiver SOS, and that's the beauty of the programs that you're, you're overseeing a well-met charitable foundation. But I would love to say if it was a new caregiver, I would love to be able to give them tips, like uh, how to become resilient, you know, from the beginning, how, you know, how basically to make this difficult, dark, transformative sort of part of their life a more powerful way to, to come out more on the bright side and gain wisdom, um, how to accept and embrace what life just handed you. These are things I, I would love to be able to first get with a new caregiver, then have them sort of have their own preconceived notions of 
hell and damnation. Well, how do you accept something that life has just given to you? Because for many, uh, that's the beginning of uh, a very emotional, guilt-packed, traumatic experience. Well, in our recent focus group that we did with caregivers in San Antonio, about 40% said, oh, it was my responsibility. It's not necessarily something I wanted to do, but I needed to do it because it's my responsibility. Right. And, and to your point, also, um, Ron, which I think is, is right on target, the guilt issues, those are the things that I'd love to be prescriptive about in a positive way. Because really, as we've talked before, the guilt is a correlation of one's self-esteem. The higher the self-esteem, usually the lower the guilt. You know, the higher the guilt, usually the lower self-esteem. So I would say immediately, you know guilt is going to happen. You know triggers of shame are going to happen. So Try to enjoy solid self-esteem. Go out and do things immediately and make sure your time is balanced, no matter how you find out you're a caregiver, whether it's immediate, like a two-by-four, or if it's gradual. Understand that the first thing you need to put together is is this three-legged stool of of your own medical health, your own psychological health, and your own social and spiritual health. And that will actually ensure that the guilt will drop, the self-esteem will rise, and um, and also, actually, at the end of the day, you'll be able to grasp the concept and be more honest with yourself and others. Well, I think you make a very good point. We had a caregiver on the show once who the first thing that she did was throw out her entire life. You know, cancel, cancel Christmas, cancel the phone calls, cancel the friends, cancel everything I ever did normally. Um, and she just immersed herself in making sure that she was the best caregiver and, and taking care of that person. But it, it, but somewhere along the line, you can get lost if you, you know, you lose yourself when you give yourself up. So and you're not recommending was, that. She was very angry. Yeah. Angry, and angry at herself, angry, in, in this case, at, at her mother, angry, angry, angry. You know, Ron, and that's, that's often the case, and this is why I love the prescriptive side here, because I mean, anger really is a reflection of, of being triggered up um, for unresolved issues that we've not dealt with. And there's nothing in this world like caregiving that will trigger that, that child within that, you know, mommy liked you better than me, or she's going to listen to you more than me. I've got to take care of her, and I wasn't her favorite. And so that anger is, is really there. And, and, and what I would always say to anybody is if you know, you don't know you're going to be a parent. And many people choose not to be a parent, and that's entirely their choice. But somehow I don't think we get out of this world without being a caregiver to somebody. And we hope to be a caregiver to ourselves. I think the number one always person we should be a caregiver is ourselves. So I think getting some therapy long before you become a caregiver or just when you find out you're a caregiver to develop the resilience, develop the the ability to adapt easier, to have a safe place to go back and talk to somebody about self-esteem. And to Carol's point that she often talks about the beauty of caregiver fosters is have a good relationships have loving relationships and foster them it needs to be part of the balance the worst thing that can happen is we become the identity like the poor cancer patient or the poor heart patient that forgets who they are and just becomes a disease we don't have to become the, the caregiver you know black belt we need to have it as a balanced part of our life if you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernil, talking with Dr. Jamie Heisman about the new caregiver. 
Well, I was, you know, I was just thinking uh, as Jamie was talking about sort of the buddy system as well. I think, you know, getting a therapist, getting someone, someone who is non-judgmental, um, and and you know it could be a support group, but also finding a buddy. I, I'm thinking of a friend of mine who's been caring for her husband for a number of years. He um, he had some significant health problems early on, you know. And we check in with her every once in a while, and and she checks in with us, and just making sure that you know we want her to know she's not alone. Um, and when she needs something or she's feeling alone, she knows she can reach out to us. And I think that's really important. I love your approach, Gail, because uh, at the end of the day. We tend to choose sometimes, especially if we're feeling negative about the experience, somebody who's more shameful, and which often comes from our families of origin, our biological family. And the last thing we need to have is, is shame heaped on us. When you have that buddy system, somebody who can support you, somebody who doesn't, you know, let's say just negotiate in life through shame and guilt, um, but can be part of that playful, joyful, curious person who's becoming a caregiver, you're way ahead of the game. My mother used to say after my dad died and after her caregiving ended, and this is the other side of the coin, that nobody ever called her anymore. She didn't see anybody. All the friends dropped away. Well, Ron, you know, that's more, that's more common than we actually think. You know, and to be frank with you, it has its correlates also in divorce. Uh, when you find out when two people divorce and people start siding with one side or the other and they just all of a sudden drop away. Um, I think it's really important that, that we realize the human condition is not always fair and that what you just said, Ron, happens often. And that is more reason why we need to be socially connected. That is more reason why, you know, as a new caregiver, the first thing I would do would, would be call, like, would call caregiver SOS. I would go in there and say some wonderful advocates. I would find the, the caregiver teleconnection phone number and, and make it part of your life. But to Carol's point, I would really find that buddy. I really find that nurturing soul. Um, so it, it, these are the things you can prescriptively do before it overwhelms you. Right. And, and what's nice these days is that there you have access to information. You know, back when we had to go to the library to research, you know, diseases um, there, you know, even if you you don't have access to people in person, you know, there's ways to reach out online. There are, are groups and social media. There's information about every disease known to man, not necessarily Wikipedia. That is not a considered a valid health resource. Um, but there are some very good sites to get information about the diseases. But as Jamie well. mentioned something that folks should know a little bit more about, and that's uh, the caregiver teleconnection. Well, uh, you oh, know, absolutely. if uh, any caregiver listening, we hope you will go to caregiversos.org um, and look at the resources that are available, uh, whether that's uh, our resource centers with our caregiver specialist to talk to someone or our caregiver teleconnection, which is a telephone education and support program where you can talk to experts like Dr. Heisman, who's going to be on the month of September on the teleconnection. Um, and I thought I'd have to do a shameless uh, Shameless uh, <laughs> Plug. Thank Oh, you. you're, you're a good promoter regardless. But that's a great resource where you talk to experts and talk to other caregivers. And all of it, you know, you can check out all of it at caregiversos.org. And ja- it's free. Jamie, about 20 seconds, you get the last word. I think that caregiving can be transformative. I really want to tell somebody, uh, you know, we can go into it very downtrodden, very beaten up with shame and guilt and, and say our lives are over. <laughs> Or we can be prescriptive and realize that every time we see our loved one, it means to take care of ourselves, mind, body, and soul. Find somebody to be with. Get a support group. And use this for a positive transformation in our lives. Well, thank you. You get the last word again. I really appreciate it. Dr. Jimmy Heisman, Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you for listening to Caregiver SOS On Air and Take 10 on 930 AM, The Answer. 
You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, but with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff. We come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer.